Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find teachings, sermons, discussions, and additional content all related to what's going on here at Trinity. Trinity Galewood is located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago, and we meet Sundays bi-weekly at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Uh, I am an incredibly competitive person. Anybody else like a very competitive person by chance, all right? Uh, that's just the way that God has wired me to be. I hate losing. It doesn't matter what it is. I just absolutely hate losing. In fact, this started to come to a realization for me because my wife started like saying to me, why can't you just do things for fun? Like everything would turn into a competition. I've been known before to like uh, be eating in a restaurant with a group of people and just have this brilliant moment in my mind of how could we turn this into a competition? Well, I bet you can't eat that in like two bites and watch this go down. I, literally in my house, I have had times where my kids are hanging on me. And it's not just a matter of being fun. I want to turn it into a competition. So I pull my phone out and we test the kids to see who can hold on the longest. If you're curious to know, Raylan is uh, always the winner when it comes to this. I'm just like wired to be an incredibly competitive person. And, and I find many different avenues for that to be played out. In fact, this last uh, year, when it was warmer outside, I joined for the first time uh, in my neighborhood a bocce ball league. Has anybody ever heard of bocce ball by chance? I show hands. All right, it's a very simple game if you're not aware. Uh, it has this little ball called a polino, and you roll this little ball out, and then you take the big ball, and then you like try to get it as close as possible to the smaller ball. It, it, you go against another team. You each have four balls. The closest ones get the points, and. That competitive nature, I thought like, hey, this will just be kind of fun. I'll be able to meet some people. You know, we'll have a good time. You know, all these kinds of things. Then I got to the first game of bocce ball on Tuesday nights. And this is legit a picture from game number one. And if you're noticing here right now, we don't just roll the balls out there. It gets incredibly serious that we have like team uniforms and we have to have a tape measure on hand, that's what's going on right now, to see who is the closest. It is not uncommon for this to happen after every single round that the tape measure has to be brought out. And this competitive nature for me was just like sparked. I'm like, dude, I'm hooked. These are my people right here. We're going to get this going. So much so that we got to the playoffs this year. And I'm proud to say that in the first year of our existence in the bocce ball league, uh, we took second in the regular season. I don't know if you caught it on ESPN or not, but um, second place. And so we were in playoffs and we were playing the uh, seventh place team, round one of the playoffs. And something just wasn't right. All right. I don't know if it was the wind 
or the weather or something that we ate beforehand, but we just weren't clicking. Things weren't working. They weren't, they weren't happening. And so um, we're playing a seventh place team. We've beaten them twice before in the regular season. Again, you probably saw it on ESPN. And, uh, and we're just rolling and things aren't happening. Meanwhile, the first place team from the bocce ball league is watching this go down. And, and they're kind of offering some commentary on the side. They're like, oh, looks like this is going to be a close one. And it's getting into our heads, right? And my competitive nature is like starting to come like in my mind, this is what I started saying, right? I didn't say this out loud to be clear, but in my mind, I'm like, dude, this guy is a loser. He needs to go home. His wife probably hates him because every Tuesday night, he's at bocce ball talking stuff to the other teams, right? And my competitive nature brings out this viciousness of life, this vicious nature of how I interact with other people. But here's the thing. We live inside of a world that loves competition. In fact, we, like, we see it all the time. I would argue that like, probably some of you today are going to go home, eat something for lunch, and then you're going to turn the TV on and you're going to watch some football, right? It's just on, it's good background music to go to sleep, take a nap. Just to prove how much like competition exists in our world, like we have gotten to a place of where we can't just watch two teams competing against one another. We've added another layer of that called fantasy football, (laughs) where competition is even more. I'm not a hater of it. I'm rooting for my fantasy football team today too. It's just part of our culture. We can't watch somebody on TV and say, hey, they have just a musical ability that's just so great and let's celebrate that. No, we've got to turn it into a competition. And what are we at? Like season 25 of The Voice, right? Where it's like, no, they got to battle each other and we're competing against one another. You can't watch food shows anymore and learn a new recipe. Now it's turned into Chopped, Right? where we're going to cut people off and say, you know what, you didn't make it, you're not getting it. And we see this in our culture all the time, competition that's happening. And, And it's not just in what we watch, it's in how we live and how we value ourselves. I mean, academically, we aren't just like, what's my GPA, but how do I compare to other people around me? What's my ACT score? Like, it's not just a matter of doing something for my own better value. It's how am I comparing to others? And see, the reality is for us as people is that this is just like what it is. We we live in a world that is just filled with competition all the time, right? And we get to these places in our lives of where we just think, that uh, life is like this hierarchy. My value is found in climbing up the ladder. So the more that I win, the better I am as a person. 
And when we get to these places and spots in our lives, it can become kind of dangerous. It can become this place of where I think, well, you know what? The reason I am where I am is because I've worked harder than everybody else. My value is based on, now if they had the work ethic that I did, then they would be where I am on the ladder right now. We say things like, well, you just gotta kinda earn your stripes. Someday, maybe you'll get to where I am, but right now, you just gotta go through that junk. Or how about this? Can we praise Jesus that the political season is finally done here and we don't have any more advertisements that are just smearing other people? Because we get to this place of where we're just constantly saying, well, if I'm better than somebody else, if I can just point out something that's wrong with the other person, then I feel better about myself in the process. And we get to these levels in our world that we have hierarchy, I get that. But we can get to a place of where we think that this position is what greatness is all about. Y'all look good from up here, by the way. (laughs) But here's the thing. This guy, Jesus, comes into the world. And, And for whatever reason, he also creates hierarchy. He has leaders amongst his disciples. In fact, we read, or we didn't read these words. This was the context of our reading for today. In Mark chapter nine, Uh, If you could put this on the screen for me here, verse two and three, it says this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain, and he transfigured before them. Imagine this, Jesus, as we've been talking about, he has his disciples that he calls. He says, come and follow me. And then he's got his 12, this crew of disciples, but he identifies three of them, Peter, James, and John. And he says, hey, I'm gonna show you something. Let's climb up this mountain. And Jesus has this moment where they see him in his full glory. And it's in this context then that I could only imagine that Peter, James, and John must have been like, hey, bro, look where we're at. Man, we've got all of this figured out. Good thing we're not like the other nine that didn't get to see this. We gotta be pretty great in the kingdom. We must be doing something right here for Jesus to signal us out. And I know that like, like you're like, well, you're just speculating. Well, actually, we read in scripture, this is what happens next. The words that we just read in verse 33 through 34, it said this, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, this is Jesus, he asked them, what were you discussing while on the way of getting here? Right after this transfiguration, they come together, they're walking on the road. And we read that they kept silent. They kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. It was in this moment that like Jesus is going to teach his disciples something really important. 
I mean, they were doing what we do all the time as human beings. Who's the goat, right? If you don't know what that means, it's greatest of all time. We have television shows that are dictated and determined by arguing that point over and over and over again. And the disciples, even in their crew, are having this discussion. They're having this argument. And it's in there that Jesus says something incredibly profound and beautiful that we must see today. He says this next in verse 35. He sat down which is just an interesting posture. It was a posture of when Jesus was teaching. He sat down with them and he called the 12. And he said, if anyone were to be first in my kingdom, he must become what? Can you read those words with me? If anyone would be first. He must be last of all and Jesus says, if anyone would become first in my kingdom, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is a profound teaching of Jesus. One that just is filled with huge implications for his followers. What he's saying is that this life is not all about you. This life is not all about climbing up the ladder and making my way to the top. That greatness in God's kingdom isn't seen by how high you get, but instead about how low we will go. And, and what's so fascinating about this teaching is that it wasn't just a teaching that Jesus would say, hey, go and do these things. Instead, it was also an example that he would lay out for his people. I mean, look at these words in Philippians 2. They're just beautiful words. This is Elsewhere in the scripture, it says this, that let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Paul would write, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. See, the example that Jesus gives us is from his teaching. See, of all people that could have just stayed on top of the ladder, of all people who had the right to just say, hey, I'm just on another level, it could and should be Jesus. I mean, the guy can turn water into wine. Great party trick. He can walk on water. He can do all kinds of things that you and I cannot do. But what the Bible teaches is exactly the words that Jesus had said. That he saw that, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, becoming the form of a servant. He stepped down. He became less. 
And the challenge that he gives you and I is to do the same. To be a servant. Greatness in the kingdom of God would not be found in climbing up, but coming down. And and I love this. This is important for us to grasp as people because we are wired to be competitive people. I don't know many people who are like, man, I'm just kind of like striving to be mediocre. I'm just trying to blend in. I think, I think most of us desire to be great. We want to make impact in our life in everything that we do. We desire to be known and seen. And it's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing that we should hold to. That we should strive to be the best in what we do. But what we need to remember over and over again is that in God's kingdom, that this greatness doesn't come with elevating myself above others. This greatness doesn't come from smearing one another or thinking that my value is only based on winning and not based on like achievement. When we think it's only about achievement, we've missed the whole point. But what Jesus says is that greatness is found in my kingdom by becoming a servant. Jesus would have these, like, this list of things that just seem so contrary to the world. I, I love these here. He would say that if you want to become great, you must become servant. If you want to live, you have to die. If, if you want to save your life, you must lose your life. And if you want to be great, you must have to suffer. And what's challenging for us as people as we live in this world of competition is that we love to climb the ladder, but we don't want glory with a cross. What I mean by that is we want greatness without humiliation. Jesus says, that's not how glory is found in my kingdom. For he taught that there was an abstract principle to life and being. And it was a principle that he would example by his life, by his death and resurrection. And if there's one thing that I hope you would get from today, is not just that, hey, that was really interesting when Pastor Dave brought a ladder out. I wonder what he's going to do next week. If there's one thing that you could get from today, it would be this. See, I think Jesus offers us a new question in the midst of living in this world. Because oftentimes I think we subtly are asking the question, like, how do I become the goat? How do I become the greatest of all time? Like, what does it take for me to just be better than everybody else? I think Jesus gives us a different question that we should be asking of ourselves every single day, a question that when I read from this guy, I just have to ask myself every single day when I wake up. And I hope you will get this one question. It's not even my thought. I'm not gonna take credit for it. It's written by a guy named Andy Stanley. He says these words. 
that the question that we need to ask every single day is this, what does love require of me? This is a profound thought. Every single day, am I asking the question, what does love require of me? And I promise you that, that if you ask this question, it will shape how you view yourself. When we ask ourselves this question of what does love require of me, it shapes how I view the value of my own worth. Doesn't see my value based upon if I'm winning or losing in the game or in my studies or at my job. It changes how I view myself. But it also changes how I view those around me. Because if I don't ask the question, how do I win? How do I become the best? But if I ask the question, what does love require of me? That changes how I interact with the people that are around me every single day. It changes how I view my neighbor. It leads me to places of asking more questions and listening rather than constantly talking and pretending to have all the answers. It leads me to this messy world of how God has made things to be. And quite frankly, I would argue it leads us into a place of where we are in sync with how God himself was living as he had flesh on him. But imagine, imagine if you every single day when you woke up asked yourself that question. What does love require of me today? And I can imagine what our community would look like if we asked this question. Every day we woke up and said, man, this isn't about me winning the game. But what does love require of me to do? Thousands of years ago, the church, uh, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, even during the time of Jesus, really, uh, the, the ruling empire was known as the Roman Empire. And maybe you've heard of uh, some of the stories of the culture of the Roman Empire, the Colosseum. Uh, it was in a highly competitive empire, one that uh, took over vast uh, majority of, of, the, of the world, really. And in Rome, um, it was a pretty vicious place. Uh, it was known for its competition and um, and also, if you know from the Colosseum, uh, just their desire to watch competition all the time, even to the point of death. And this is the culture that Jesus is in that the first church was a part of. And in Roman culture, there was this practice that was in play up until the mid-300s. If you're wondering the timeline there, Jesus, like, it leaves earth around 33. So for around 300 years, this practice was in play in Roman culture. 
It was not unusual that when a child was born in Roman culture, if there was a birth defect, they would place this child and they would see it as because of its birth defect, it had no value. They would leave it maybe by the river bank or in the wilderness or just in a marketplace. And they believed that, that if this child was worthy, the gods would look after it and it would find its way. But it wasn't just birth defects that allowed this practice of exposure, as it was commonly called. Maybe there was infidelity suspected in the relationship, and that was seen as another reason that you could leave the child out for death. But even worse than those two things, there was another practice known as that if that child was not born the gender that you desired it to be, especially a little girl. In Roman culture, it was seen as acceptable to leave that child out for death. And I hope that that makes you cringe a little bit today. Because the first church, Christians, in the first century AD, were asking this question. What does love require of me? And what they were known for in the Roman Empire was to be a group of people that would see this young, unattended child that was left for dead and they would step down and pick that child up and care for that child. And they wouldn't do it to like, throw it on social media and prove how great I am. But they would do it for the purpose of knowing that there is value in every single person. Somebody say amen to that. There's value in every single person, no matter how young or old or whatever the circumstances are that have come. They would take that child in and bring them into an orphanage and care for that child. To the point of seeing that there is value in this human being. And in the first century, this was so against the culture. But it was exactly what Jesus had taught. That if you desire to be great in his kingdom, that comes with becoming a servant of all. And this very action that the first church had put into play was a huge contribution to healthcare. In fact, it was known as the providing foundation for the whole tradition of Western medical philanthropy. That by the fourth century, it led, it led to the creation of the hospital as a uniquely Christian institution but the hospital would have never succeeded without an earlier, longer tradition of medical philanthropy integral to the ministry of the early church. See, from the very beginning, the church understood that we must ask this question often, what does love require of me? Because greatness in God's kingdom is found in being a servant. You might be saying, like, I thought we were on this series called Follow. 
What about that path thing that you always talk about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because this fits exactly into what it means to follow Jesus. And today, as we finish, if you go to the next slide, these last two parts of our path of a small group leader and a coach, I need you to understand this point, that leadership in our church exists. There is pieces of hierarchy that exists. But greatness in leadership in our church isn't found in climbing up the ladder and saying, oh, well, I'm gonna get on Pastor Dave's side and I'm gonna say, man, your hair looks really good today. And I'm gonna suck up to his wife and say, she's the best looking woman at church. And you're right, but that's not gonna get you any more points, all right? And it's not a matter of pleasing me or somebody else that's here. But greatness in God's church Greatness in the kingdom of God would be one that says, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to step down. I'm willing to be a part of a community that doesn't just think for my own benefit, but thinks for the benefit of others. And doesn't just see it as something that's only done on a Sunday morning but it's something that I'm willing to share and give freely with others as it has been freely given to me. That greatness in our church would be one, not found in climbing the ladder, but stepping down and becoming a servant of all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your example, the gift that you are to us. And God, oftentimes, we get lost in competition and we think that greatness is about beating others and tearing one another apart or down. I pray, God, that we wouldn't get lost in competition and seeing our value only in that, but instead we would see our value in what you say and who you are. And God, may that drive us to new relationships, to a new way of viewing ourselves and viewing others. May we wake every day asking that question, what does love require of me? God, I pray that we would be so bold to continue that mission that you have been doing in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.